You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is season 12, episode three, The Artist Roundtable. The Makers and Mystics Roundtables are loose, unscripted conversations around the season's theme. Joining me for today's discussion on art and identity are my dear friends, Rachel Kong and Corey Fry. Rachel Kong is an author, poet, and founder of the Fallow House online creative community. You may recall my previous conversation with Rachel on her book, Let There Be Art, in season 10 of the podcast. And Corey Fry is a visual artist, poet, and musician. He and his wife, Christy, are the founders of The Well Collaborative, a community in Frederick, Maryland, dedicated to wonder, hospitality, and creativity. Corey also works as the exhibitions manager at the Delafane Arts Center in Frederick's downtown area. And I'm sure many of you know Corey as he is also one of the leaders of the Makers and Mystics Creative Collective in our book clubs. I'm your host, Stephen Roach, and this is the Artist Roundtable on Art and Identity. Thank you guys for coming on the Makers and Mystics podcast with me tonight. Yeah, so glad to be here. Yeah, really excited about the conversation. It's going to be a good time. You know, this is the first roundtable for season 12 of the podcast. It's crazy. I can't believe I've done 12 seasons at this point. But the topic for tonight is art and identity, how the creative process shapes our sense of self. And I'm just really interested to discuss the relationship between our art making and our identity and how that plays out in our daily practices, what that looks like for us who are on this faith journey. But I'd just love to hear your comments. When I talk about art and identity from this framework, what comes to mind for you? Wow, well, I know for me, that's such a layered question. I mean, <laughs> isn't it? Yes. You know, the more that I think about it, I can't help but kind of backtrack and go back to maybe the first inkling in my life where I started to sense that there was some artistic tendency in me. And to be honest, I will say at that time, if I'm thinking clearly, as it relates to the creative process and then taking on the identity of an artist, I didn't see myself as an artist. I only had that creative process part. And as I think about that, I'm talking high school years, you know, cutting classes, going to the music annex, writing songs with the poems that I wrote, <laughs> not really thinking wow, I'm an artist, but really embracing that creative process. As I think about that, I can't help but wonder, throw this out there, kind of ponder this idea of, I wonder what this topic has to do in terms of like, when you view yourself or how you view yourself as putting something into the world versus just how you want to show up, right? Because for me, 
this all began when I was just curious about how I wanted to show up as a person, how I wanted to find my own space, how I wanted to express myself. And honestly, all of those things, they had nothing to do with what I wanted to put out there in the world for other people. So I can't help but think about this question in regards to like my history as a creative, as an artist. And I think it's really interesting to kind of consider, you know, as you're being shaped as an artist, as you're finding your identity, where are you starting? Are you first looking towards like, what can I put out there? Or is your creative process one that is about like, no, I'm just trying to create a space for myself. Like I'm just trying to find who I am, you know, not inviting anyone else into this process yet. It's just me and I'm finding myself slash finding my identity in that way. Yeah, that's so good. Corey, what do you think, man? You got any thoughts on that one? In regard to what Rachel said, I think thinking about what creativity means to you personally and what does the work that you make, like what's its social responsibility is, is something that we really have to deal with the repercussions of, especially in our time because of the pressure of showing up socially. Like Ernest Hemingway used to talk about the 80, 20 principle in, in that like only 20% of what you make should really be shown and it has to be undergirded by an 80% that's hidden. But I feel like some of the social pressure that exists right now brings us out into the open without a very solid maturity. And I think it's helpful, Rachel, you, you mentioned like sort of the title of, of the artist or, you know, being called an artist. That idea is interesting to me as well, because our conception of art history, it's dictated by the history books rather than about the actual existential life of the artist. So, you know, when I show up in front of a canvas, I'm actually engaging in this lineage of like Cezanne showing up to a canvas and doing ridiculous things that don't meet the standard of the day, but just because he's curious. So that through line of curiosity that runs through art history is actually what ties me to art history as an artist. And, you know, I hesitate a little bit to say this, but I think maybe it's true that if your social work isn't undergirded by just a plain curiosity, we can look around ourselves in the art world and recognize a hollow creativity or a hollow art maybe that isn't undergirded with that 80% underneath or that or that just showing up because this interests me. But it is a it's a really hard it's a really hard thing to kind of navigate through your own life, especially if you haven't taken the time to invest in your own identity, your own curiosity, your own wonder. I've often said to students that I've coached when I've done creative coaching, I've said, you know, you're a writer because you write not because your book has been published. You're a painter because you show up to the canvas and you put color on a canvas, not because you're hung in a gallery. You're a musician because you're making chords on a guitar, not because your songs are on the radio. And I think that that's kind of what you were saying as well as the essence of who we are versus what we produce. And I think those that are concerned about artists having their identity wrapped up in the 
things that we make, it's because we're only as good as our last greatest hit. We're only as good as the last impacting thing that we produced. And if we do root our identity in the things that we make, we will be ridden with anxiety. We will be ridden with fear. We will always be insecure. We will always wonder, can I do it again? What will the people think now? And then let's not even go down the rabbit trail of when our livelihoods are tied up in the things that we make. That's a whole other consideration of this. However, I think that you can take that too far. And I think well-meaning folks in the religious world have when we have said, okay, I'm gonna drop Bible for a minute. Our identity is rooted in Christ for the follower of Jesus, right? And we, we understand that. But I've often put it in terms of like roots and branches. I think it's a bit unfair to say that as artists, our art cannot be perceived as a part of our identity and us still be healthy. I think that if the works we produce are the sole source of our existence, then we will get in trouble. But I think we have to understand that the gifts and the callings can't be turned away from. They are the branches of who we are. And I think that that is the, the tension between art and faith. That's really at the core of everything I've tried to talk about on Makers and Mystics is how the spiritual and the creative relate to one another, you know? And so, and Corey, I love what you brought up when you were talking about the lineage. It's like when we show up to the canvas or, or you know, when Rachel, you're writing, we're actually coming from a lineage. There's a heritage there. We're, we're not just these individuals that we think we are sometimes, but we really are part of a larger community. And you know, I think that for so many people, it's a really scary moment to declare, I'm an artist. You know, it's, it's one thing to finally accept, well, I have these creative tendencies, but to say that I'm an artist, sometimes it can feel a bit presumptuous or even pompous, or it makes people uncomfortable, but it's almost like a, you know, this, this big deal, this moment. And I love how you said, Rachel, how I want to show up in the world. It's, it's almost saying, you know, I may not be the best writer in the world, but I'm a writer and I'm a writer because I write. I love that. And I, th you know, even to kind of piggyback off of what Corey was saying, you know, when I say I want to consider how I want to show up in the world with my writing, with my songwriting, with my poems, with my photography, it is to go along with what you were saying, Corey, of I want to be curious. I want to be in a position where I am standing and observing what is taking place and how can I respond to what I'm seeing, what I'm feeling, what is evolving in me, what is growing in me, what I've learned before, what I'm learning now. And so it really does kind of that takes over that identity where it's like, I'm not just wanting to show up here as a writer, to be a writer and to write. It's like, there are all these other things that I'm bringing with me and writing or photography, that's the medium through which I can express, through which I can ask those curious questions, you know, and so on and so forth. But yeah, I think that this is such, it's such a, it, it really does feel so murky because it's like, 
it feels like the question begs for you to organize the thought and to make neat all these lines and boxes and categories. And really, it for me, it just feels like like art and faith. It just feels so meshed together. The question itself can be a little bit introspective, right? Yeah. Because I don't often think about these things. It's just unconscious. I just do what I do. And it's not a thought or a, or a concern until somebody until somebody like myself brings it up, you know? <laughs> but but again, to Corey, to your point, it's so worth it to ask this specific question because what we do end up bringing to the table, it does contribute to society. Yes. And in that, we want to know and be sure of what we're believing and what we're endorsing and what we're hinging ourselves upon, you know, that history, that heritage. And so just being aware of that and taking advantage of that too is like, okay, there's so much here and I don't want to just show up haphazardly. So how can I truly show up with values and knowing the history and then have some sort of I feel like, um, Stephen, this is what we were talking about at Ecstasis Cafe is like the future of art, the future of creativity and faith. And like, how are we fostering just the, how are we preparing the garden and tending to the garden of today so that it's fostered for tomorrow, you know? Mm, That's good. Ma'am, I really like that, Rachel. I like what you were saying about bringing, you bring your whole self and, and the, the writing is sort of the vehicle through which your whole self shows up. Um, I think it's, you know, we have to have a serious conversation and maybe it's not for tonight, but, and it's something that we probably need to develop an understanding for, but we, we live in a society that has an industrial value system. It's like churning out the stuff, but we need to parse out the nuance of the difference between an industrial value system and stewardship. And I think the thing that you're bringing up is, is, is um, on the level of it's on the level of stewardship. It's it's that I make this stuff and it has it has a I have a responsibility for it to show up in the world. One of one of the one of the things that I think about with this, I'm about to get etymological on you here. Is Let's that go. <laughs> with some help from David White, um, who we've talked about before? David White talks about in a book called Consolations. He says that we have a misunderstanding with the word genius and that the way the word genius rose up through humanism to kind of latch on to this industrial mindset that we have now where it's like this isolated person doing doing their own thing that's broken away from the rest of culture where gene where the word genius actually comes from is genius loci and it and it was this it was this way of talking about landscape it was like it talked about the spirit of a place. Genius loci meant the spirit of a place. So the way that this specific stream flowed over this specific rock and with this specific vegetation around had a spirit to it, right? And when I think about what we're talking about, um, I promise this is connected. If the genius loci in me, the way that the the water runs over the rocks that's unique to my individuality or my idiosyncrasy meets up with with the part uh, that you bring in the landscape, we end up developing this large landscape picture of beautiful possibility. I love what you said, Corey, that the art is the vehicle, but there's a deeper substance. 
you know? And I think that's, that's a really interesting picture for me that the art is the vehicle through which, you know, beauty, goodness, truth, some of these other things are actually made known through it and, and how, again, how we show up in the world. I love that thought. You know, something that I think my friend Joel McCaro, he's the Australian poet that has done some stuff with us before. I think he was the first person that said this to me, but the idea is that the moment we put a work out in the world, it really no longer belongs to us. It becomes a social entity. And Corey, even what you were talking about, and actually I think both of you made a comment on this, but when we put a work out in the world, it does take on a life and an identity of its own. And I I think that's a, a very curious thought to think about the identity of our art rather than our identity through our art. But I, you know, it's often to me, and both of you guys would understand this too because we're all parents, but when our child is forming and growing and developing and we're learning more about the identity of our child, I often find that to be true in my creative process as well. Whether I'm writing a poem, whether I'm writing a book, whether I'm writing a song, curating something, whatever it is, it's almost like the identity of the art will bear a reflection of us. But I think that really interesting art for me always leads us beyond ourselves. And, you know, I put this post out on Instagram a few weeks ago where I was talking about the difference between self-expression and self-denial. I don't know if either of you guys saw that post, but it's just this idea that, you know, on one hand, we have people that say, okay, our art is where we express ourselves. You know, art is all about expression. Art is all about, you know, just self-expression and whatever I want to pour through it, let it be that vehicle. But then you have more of the, the faith community or the spiritual ideas of self-denial which is all about the denial of desire or the denial of of certain things for the purpose of a greater return at a later time. And the tension between those two worlds is pretty fascinating when you think about it in terms of the artist. And so I bring that up because I think in the life of the artist, as we are wrestling through and learning about our own identity and as we're learning about the identity of the art we make, we we have to come to that point where we reach the intersection of those two things. Like we have created something that has come from our own mind, our own heart, our own experience with God or whatever it may be, but then it becomes a social entity and it actually transcends beyond us. It goes beyond self-expression and that's where as artists, I believe we do have a responsibility to the world for what we put forth in the world. You know, back in the day, I watched this interview between Marilyn Manson and Bill O'Reilly. <laughs> I don't think I've ever brought up either of those guys on Makers and Mystics before. You know, <laughs> what a crew. Can you imagine Bill O'Reilly and Marilyn Manson hanging out? But I remember it really struck me that you know, Bill O'Reilly asked him the question, do you feel responsible 
for the impact that your art has on your audience. And at the time, of course, you know, Manson denied any responsibility because some really negative things were happening from with people that were listening to his music. But he took no responsibility for that. But I don't think that, I don't think an artist can genuinely be that separated from the work that we produce. Does that make sense? Like art, when we talk about how do we separate, and we've talked about that on the podcast before, can we separate the art from the artist? I'm not so sure that we can. And I think that that's why, as I said earlier, I think that you know we've, we're, we have the roots of who we are and who we are in our being, but then our art is the branches that do reach out into the world and create an impact that I think we do have a responsibility for. I just can't help but think about how the art that we create, whether it's intentionally created for the sake of sharing with others, or it's a journal that, you know, we keep these chronicles of our days. And then when our time is up, maybe something happens with that journal and it gets published. And now people are welcomed into your interior world and you never intended that, but here we are, people are reading your, your journals, your letters to others. And I just can't help but think or wonder how it's just like everything else in our lives, really, where you speak a word, you say something to someone, and whatever comes out of your mouth, you are responsible for that, whether it's a good word and whether it's not a good word. Same with our actions, the things that we are doing, people are watching whether or not we want them to or are aware of that. And so people are seeing the way that we live, not not that that should scare us into, you know, I can't help but think of, oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see, like, you know, or little hands, what you do, Not, (laughs) not that that scares us into being good little humans, never making any mistakes, but the Mm. idea that yeah, we're responsible for, you're responsible every time you get on the road with a car. I mean, there are rules to follow. There are others that are driving the same road as you and you are not in your own little world. Like we're all kind of living together, you know? And so at the risk of sounding like I'm reducing it to everything else in the world, Yeah, it is like everything else in the world. It is like parenting. It is with our relationships and our friendships and the way that we are choosing to show up there. And and we're responsible for those actions too. And so I think that our art, again, the product of our hands, you know, if that word trips people up, I'm a really big supporter of dropping that word. If that trips you up and artists too. Like if you don't, if you can't call yourself an artist, then you're a person who creates. Okay, just... You're a person who writes, you're a person who gardens, you're a person who cooks or bakes or whatever it is. If you can't call it art, if you can't call yourself an artist, then just the work of your hands, how you show up to produce in the world, it matters. There, There is responsibility there. You know, I can't help but think about the faith of so many worldwide is hinged upon this book the Bible, this compilation of these chronicles and letters and 
I mean, do, do you ever wonder, like, if Paul thought that his words would go as far as they have, you know? Right, yeah. I don't know. I don't think so. Like, maybe he thought <laughs> they'd last for, you know, a really long time. I don't know. Do you think that in the moment when he was writing those letters, that he saw that as art? Mm. Probably not. But the Bible's the world's best-selling book to date, book <laughs> in art form. You know what I mean? So, I don't know. I just, mm-hmm. yeah, I think at the risk of, of, I don't know, sometimes I like to simplify things. I'm not trying to water it down, but I'm like, yeah, it it matters. And here's why, because everything else that we do matters. And that goes back to your identity, like what you value as a person. And I, I, I don't know. I, I think I kind of wrote about this in my book, like this idea of like, are you going to create art that creates chaos? Are you going to create things in the world that contribute to chaos? Or are you going to create things that bring order and peace? What kind of art work are you going to bring? You know? Yes. What happens in my studio or at my writing desk I don't consider the social responsibility of that. Like to me, sort of like anything goes in those moments. Uh-huh. But but when I am talking about stewardship in a social setting, like we are sort of curating. Uh, when when we're curating what work we send out into the world, that's where I feel like responsibility takes place. That's good. I make stuff all the time that should never see the light of day for so many different reasons. One of which is because it's bad and I need to make bad stuff in order to make good stuff. But one of the other reasons is like, I make things that, you know, maybe I make things that are too grotesque or too strange for one audience and not for another audience, or maybe they're too strange for any audience. And then I have to take stock of the risk that I'm willing to take and and the change that I'm wanting to see in the world. Like, I think we need artwork that is disruptive as well as pacifying. Mm-hmm. I need artwork in my life that that absolutely shakes up the way that I think about things. And, and that means that I'm going to find a certain amount of uncomfortability with it. But I also yes. need artwork that, just sort of mollifies and and washes over me like a warmth that soothes and heals. And I don't know which I need at what time. And, you know, this, this comes back to me for, uh, about identity. This comes back towards the topic of identity for me in that I'm mostly there. There are artists in the world that know what they're going to make. Like they, they can sit down and they know where they're headed and I and I'm so grateful for those kind of artists, but I know that I'm not one of them. I make artwork to discover something, and part of the thing that I'm discovering is myself. I have no idea who I am. No idea. I think the words of David saying, Search my heart, oh God, there there's a reason for that because we don't just live uh we don't just see through a glass darkly the rest of the world, we see through a glass darkly even our own selves. Uh-huh. And there are deep, dark places within me that God is willing to shed light on 
And sometimes in order to shed light on it, it needs to come to the light of day. Like I need to make the thing that is deep and dark. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's mm. for, for any other eyes, but my own. And, and I think like all this is so tricky. My goodness. Talk about murky water. Like we're, we're still, we're still <laughs> wading through all of that murk right now. Yes. I love that though, Corey. It's like the process is responsible. You know, mm-hmm. like the process of seeking out to discover yourself, however, whatever is uncovered, you know, whether that is to be shared with the world or not, whether it ends up in front of the world's eyes or not, like that process is responsible. And I like hinging our conversation there. Like I like... I like landing there mm-hmm. because again, it really is always about the product, right? What ultimately makes it or doesn't make it in front of others' eyes. And it's like, what if it's just about that process? I mean, we're talking about the creative process that shapes our sense of self. And so whether as a creative or an artist or someone who's just stumbling through, whether we are seeking out to do something that we are very sure of or whether we are just like, I need to see just how dark the darkness is within me. And if I can find the light through this, you know, like that process is responsible. You know, I think for me, context and timing are the keys that, that unlock the sensitivities that we're talking about. Because, because Corey, I think honestly, a lot more folks, perhaps even people in faith art worlds, need that freedom of exploration without the consideration of the audience. I mean, my goodness, I feel that so deeply that that so many of us in the faith community, we have these strictures around our art making that kind of clips our wings, right? There's a time when we need to go to those dark places with God. There's a time when we need to go to those dark places in ourselves and we need the freedom to explore it without consideration of consequence, without consideration of where it goes or what it does. And I think that timing and and realizing the timing is so important on that. One of my favorite talks on creativity, I've talked about it so many times over the years, but it's John Cleese. And he talks about uh, the comedian, John Cleese. He talks about the difference between open mode and closed mode. And open mode is when everything is welcome and all ideas have an equal seat at the table. And we're just playing, we're on that playground. We're not thinking about what other people think about it. We're not even thinking about what we think about it. We're not trying to name it or define it. We're just letting that creative fire burn as bright as it wants to go. But then at some point in the creative process, we put on the editing hat and then we began to shape and carve and it's still a creative process. Editing, Rachel, you would know this. (laughs) The editing process is very much a creative process, but it comes from a different posture. And when I mentioned context is the key, I tell a really short story there. I had two artists that were part of a creative community that I was involved in at a time. And this one artist had posted something that was very intimate to her, but it was a nude painting and it was it was very disturbing. It wasn't just a, a normal classical Renaissance nude or something. It was a very disturbing 
portrait, but it was also part of her healing process of coming out of some trauma that had happened in her life. But this other artist just kind of turned on Facebook and the image was there in front of her eight-year-old daughter. And so it became this conflict that was very difficult for me as a leader at that time to navigate because I resonated with the artist who had put out this disturbing image and I validated her need to process that trauma. And I also, as a parent and as someone who considers when things are appropriate and when they're not, I also understood this other lady's process. And so for me, when we talked about self-expression and self-denial, self-denial is healthy when it is a consideration for context and when it's a consideration for others. I'm not gonna have a glass of scotch around somebody that's wrestled with alcoholism. You know what I'm saying? It's like context is key for our art. And then the last point I wanted to make is that I think when we talk about our sense of identity and Corey, I love how you said, I don't know who I am. <laughs> I think that's the most beautiful, honest thing any of us could say, because we tend to think that we are static. We tend to define ourselves in these terms that feel very stationary, but we can't forget that who we are is becoming. That's the truest thing I could say about myself is who I am is I am becoming. You know, I used to have, not to belabor the point, but I used to have a very deterministic way of thinking about who I was and, and the kind of art that I made um, that, that God made me. And like, I was just fulfilling this idea that God had. Um, but that, that really shattered quite a bit actually when I had kids um, <laughs> for, yes, for a lot, of, for a lot of different reasons, but, <laughs> um, you know, I, I like that you use the word static about identity and how identity can never be static. Like we're, we're caught in an entropic world. Like you, you are either in a mode of degradation or you're in a mode of what, of like, um, of of affirmation like of affirming who you are as an as an individual even if that's someone that you don't like even if you don't know who that person is rachel i know you have a steven was telling me about your book what's it called again let there be art mm -hmm. yeah oh i can't wait to get my hands on it and read it i i did a talk uh just a uh, about a year ago on on the word let and mm -hmm. how like you know, God isn't deterministic in the way that he creates the world, right? He's not He's not a, a king decreeing that things exist. He doesn't say, I demand that light exists. He says, let there be light. And so this divine let that exists is like, is so key to me understanding what it means to be a creative person because God isn't insecure, so he doesn't have to decree and demand things. He's so secure that he can let things. <laughs> and me being made in God's image means that I'm also a letter. Like, I also let things exist. And so I can't be deterministic about my own identity. I can't even be deterministic about the things that I make. But I can let things come into existence 
and I can partner with the spirit of God. And, you know, artists have talked about this for generations after generations. They've called it the muse. They've called it, you know, you know, insert, insert name here sort of thing. But, you know, we sort of show up and we drag the depths of ourselves and, and the spirit pairs with that in such a beautiful way, in the same way that the spirit hovers over chaos, it's hovering over the unknown within us. And that pairing brings out amazing things sometimes that I'm so surprised about. But I remember this all came about with my kids because my my son, Arthur, when he was first born, and even now he really struggles with sleep. And I remember I couldn't sit still and hold him and him fall asleep. I had to pace in his room for like an hour, an hour and a half for him to fall asleep. And it was so exhausting. And I remember this, this idea of let like coming into my mind and in my heart, like God lets things exist. And I remember just feeling that whisper of the spirit over me, like, Corey, you need to let Arthur, your job as a dad is to let Arthur. And then I let that expand into a greater openness. And it was like me feeling God just whispering that over myself, let Corey, like your existence is to let Corey. And part of that means that you're partnering with the unknown within yourself and and you can be so secure in your own identity that you don't have to demand a decree that things exist. You can let things exist. Uh And so that makes me so excited. Rachel, I'm excited to grab your book and to to check out what you got in that direction. Um, I'm sure I've got so much to learn about it. It's really good. I mean, you just spoke a book. That was just beautiful, everything that you just said. And I mean, I can't help but think of, you know, Tim Keller. He so often would have whole sermon series on like a three word phrase and just break down each word to like bare bones, you know, and have so much depth and substance in that. And so I just love how you unraveled that word let in, in, I love how, yeah, I mean, it speaks to all areas of our life, not just our art, but our relationship, our understanding of God and who He is and how He is and how from that can flow this let into all the other areas of our life, even parenting. So I was just beautiful. I could have listened to that for you. <laughs> yeah. You know, as we're talking about this idea of becoming and this this idea of letting things be and things coming into being, I have to think, you know, that all of the work that we create, everything that we make or everything that we put out in public, it's an overflow of what we're cultivating in the secret place. It's a, it's an overflow of who we are in the dark recesses of our lives, you know? And I have a phrase coming to mind here that I want to read. It's from Brother Thomas Merton. You guys know I have a love for Mr. Merton. <laughs> but he says... God utters me like a word Mm. containing a partial thought of himself. A word will never be able to comprehend the voice that utters it. But if I am true to the concept that God utters in me, if I am true to the thought of him that I was meant to embody, I shall be full of his actuality 
and find him everywhere in myself and find myself nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to do but laugh about that. It's so. Uh, I have the same dude, reaction. I, I, <laughs> what do you say after? You know what I mean? It's like, that's why, and that's from his book, New Seeds of Contemplation. And I read that book at least once a year. I go back to it, it because, yeah, you're right. I hear those things. And I mean, the first sentence alone God utters me like a word containing a partial thought of himself. If there are microphones in heaven, Tom, Tommy Merton yeah. is dropping them hot. Well, guys, this has been so much fun. We need to do this in person. Yeah. What do you say? You know I'm down. <laughs> Not even a question. <laughs> this is so good. This is so good. Well, listen, thank you so much for joining me on the Makers and Mystics podcast. And I cannot wait for what might be brewing up for us next. Thanks for having me. Such a joy, as always. Really appreciate the opportunity to be here. It was a great time. Thank you for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. Be sure to see the show notes of this episode for links to today's guests and for information on how you can join the Makers and Mystics Creative Collective. We'll see you again next week. And until then, keep creating. The world needs your art. Thank you.